From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 785, your private cloud platform with guest Janelle Crothers. Recorded Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Today, my guest, one of my favorites, Janelle Crothers, is back. She's a cloud solution architect for Microsoft who's been using Azure since its inception. Sometimes keeping up with the constant changes in cloud technology makes her long for the days of box software and two-year refresh cycles. But recently, she's been focused on helping businesses navigate moving to Azure while balancing the challenges of security, access, modernization, and the adoption of DevOps. And when she's not redeploying infrastructure, she spends her time with her family and friends in the San Francisco area, which is where we originally met. Right. Eight years ago? Nine years? Easily. Yeah, it was Tech Days San Fran 2013 and uh, Ed Horley. Yes. Ed Horley introduced us back then. I came down for that event. And uh, yeah, we did a panel show together. And you've been on I'm like, almost every year. Like, I think this is number six. You're almost Something due, like that. Yeah, I think you get a free foot long shortly at this point. <laughs> do, I, do I really? Yeah, there's my punch card. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've <laughs> got a mug. I know you have a mug somewhere. I do, yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. You might need another mug. But yeah, we should, we should work on that. But thanks for coming back. I'm uh, happy to be here. How's your pandemic been? It's been good. It's nice to sort of see the end, yeah. the end, end-ish of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's... You know, it's slow. I think yeah. I think everybody's sort of got to come to terms of what they're comfortable with. And and to be patient with, mm-hmm. with, with, I realize there's folks at different levels of anxiety and different levels of challenges and that the pandemic's not been evenly distributed, much like the future. So there mm-hmm. are parts of the world that are struggling far more than we are uh, in the West at this particular point. Of course, I'm up in BC and well ahead of when this show is going to be published. It's scorching hot out right now. Like we're not supposed to get this hot, so we're. It's currently under sixty here and foggy. Yeah, so. yeah, no, we're doing the ninety thing, and we don't do the ninety thing in British Columbia. It's not good. It's very, very challenging. Uh, obviously, you had an amazing year. I mean, the move to the cloud in this particular time. I bet you bet the phone was ringing off the hook. Was a lot yeah, of emotion. I, I, there, there was a lot going on. Yes. Yeah, no kidding. But I mean, you guys sell a public cloud. You sell Azure. But people want a private option to that? Is that a thing? Yes, it's totally a thing. Okay. Um, you know, everybody wants the ease of some of the things that we manage for you. Right. Like, uh, you know, SQL and Azure, AKS, Um you know, components like Key Vault, like uh, container services, but you know, these even are the platform pieces. I don't own mm-hmm. the OS. I don't know the updates. It's just a service I can call and it works every day. Exactly. Right. Um, but most of those um, were designed, you know, public IP address space with using, you know, identity and RBAC as the primary way of controlling access to those things, okay. but publicly accessible. And a lot of organizations making the move from on-prem, you know, to the cloud still have a lot of security policies and audit requirements mm-hmm. that tend to require private IP, IP, IP space. Interesting. And they still want to use it, but they want to use these other 
components. So we get a lot of how do we make this private? So they bring in their IPs to you or are they trying to rent IPs from you or you know, you can use whatever, you know, private IP space on your Azure VNet that you'd like. So usually, you know, you pick a, a VNet um, and build that and then want to tie in all of those PaaS services into that VNet, just like the VMs. Okay. You know, you can do a VNet with a VM, private IPs. Right. And is this, is this direct access? Like, you, what, what pro, is there a particular set of products I need from Azure to be able to do this? Um, well, there's a couple different ways that we kind of control access of our, you know, PaaS offerings on your VNet. Um, we've had uh, service endpoints that are not IP right. connected, but are, you know, uh, firewalling and um, identity and stuff mm -hmm. limited to your VNet, but they're not accessible with an internal IP address. Um, and a lot of customers want those things to, you know, be on the VNet with an IP address from that VNet. Right. I'm thinking the wrong name. Direct access is the VPN product. I'm thinking. Oh, direct access is the I'm, VPN. I'm thinking Express Route. Yeah, Express Express Route is is our our direct access is the I think yeah. the AWS version, and that's you know you'll do an Express Route between on prem and your cloud right. VNet, um, and you know, you'll have different IP address spaces, but private. But then, how do you connect all the other PaaS services to that VNet, right, right. also using that IP space? Because my my instinct then, once I'm doing that, of course you you follow the pattern, right? I have an existing infrastructure. We want to start using some cloud things. So I, 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 by setting up stuff like Express Route, now it's just an extension of my data center, effectively. Mm -hmm. But effectively. yeah, and so, but immediately when I think of it being all private, I'm responsible for everything. I'm running virtual machines, my own operating systems. Like it really is just an extension of my data center. And but people want the platform pieces. Yes. Okay. So it's like because the, now it's like, do I want to run my own container registry? No. no. Well, let me connect container Azure Container Registry. Right. But how do I do that so that I can connect to it from on prem? So it ha you know, so that I'm using the same IP space. You know, I don't want to use that public IP address to get to that thing. Right. So we net the whole point is never hit a public IP, never go out onto the internet per se, only through that yes. private. I mean, we know that private connection still over the internet, but you know, it, I've, right, right. I've done lease line connections between countries before. Yeah. It's these days it transmits over the internet where back in the old days, we literally were buying the fiber. Um, right. But it's got its own encryption. It's, it's an isolated connection, right? It's not never routable. Right, never. So run. they want they want all of that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they want to um, force tunnel back to uh, you know, firewalls or devices on prem. Right, and they want all of that, even their Azure traffic in their VNet to go back through that particular device. Um, not always the most practical from a you know time you know you know a lot of hops, but yeah. Now I mean, but if people are yeah, Janelle, I don't know if this is necessary. I mean, I get that the customer wants this. I know. I'm not convinced it's that it's necessary. necessary, but it's also a point where it's like, why don't you just sell them what they want? Exactly. But you think about a, a typically, I imagine a larger organization with a fairly thorough set of security viewpoints, and they've mm -hmm. decided that part of the way they want to do things is strictly non-routable on the internet. Yeah. That they control the exposed endpoints as much as possible. And then certain classes of traffic just never get exposed. And yeah, you should sell them that product. I think you sell them that product. 
Uh, we kind of do, you know, we kind of do. And also there's other factors involved. Like, you know, they have tools on prem that they're used to using and they want to be able to use those same tools. Mm -hmm. And we have also said that for years, you know, bring the tools, you know, it's just that, you know, sometimes that doesn't make sense either. You know, Mm -hmm. like we have, you don't necessarily need to force tunnel everything back to your on-prem firewall. You know, you could put a firewall in Azure and keep your Azure traffic all on that firewall if necessary. But now that's two devices you need to check and the tooling for those two things might be different. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that might not be, you know, a direction that somebody wants to go. Yeah. I I think any of the perfect, I want all of the same everywhere is concerning, but I think at least some of this makes sense. I also might be a transitory state. Like this is acceptable mm-hmm. exactly. for now, especially in this past year when things move so quickly. Uh, and then maybe they'll they'll change to more of the uh, the zero trust models that allow us to travel over the internet more often. I think this is the other what you're describing to me is somebody very much still perimeter thinking mm-hmm. in their security for better or worse. But that's what they're right. thinking, and so. But I know you don't want to turn away the customer, but I also think you do a good job for them too. And in some respects, put them on the path to uh, a, this new strategy. Exactly, and there's there's a lot of steps on the way, and mm-hmm. we need to help the we need to help everybody wherever they are in their journey. Yeah, and and I mean this, Mike. I mean, we kind of did this with Azure at the very beginning. You know, we brought Azure into its inception with like all the PaaS offerings, and nobody was ready to go there because yes. all of the middle steps were missing. Yeah. And you know, so over the last decade, we've brought in more of those offerings that, in some cases, are just middle steps. Yeah. You know, I was talking about this the other day. It's like the original offering that Ray Ozzie made. Back in 2009 with the web role and the app role, it's like, you realize they were offering a serverless long mm-hmm. before we wanted serverless. Exactly. I mean, it had problems with granularization and billing models and da-da-da-da-da-da. But fundamentally, it's like you kind of jumped to the end game and it jumped mm-hmm. away from the customer. Like the customer yeah. customer wanted to rent a VM. That's what they mm-hmm. understood in 2009. And you didn't sell that. Mm-hmm. Eventually it's like did. all the adjacent steps. Yeah, You yeah. need all the adjacent steps. And this is, this is, I think, on some levels, one of them. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's almost the, you know grade school, you have to show your work, like you have to show the path forward. So if you've Mm -hmm. got an organization that cares a lot about perimeter, this is an approach that allows them to do that and then get them drawn in on these platform pieces that are so much easier to maintain. Like I don't own the registry, it's being run for me, but I have access to a registry and I have Kubernetes available to me without having to deal with the battle of configuring the Kubernetes infrastructure. Right. Okay, so what's the hard part in this? That's the hard part. Uh, <laughs> uh, networking, <laughs> DNS. Yeah. Oh man, um, are you talking about driving private DNS for all of this? I imagine you are. Yeah, private. Um, so, so our our most common solution out there now for this is Private Link, um, which uses a basically a NIC endpoint on your VNet that um, is representative of how you connect to this service. Interesting. And, and then um, there's a few other, you know, components involved, um, but one of them is private DNS that uses a private DNS name that you need to be able to resolve. Right. But that Azure also needs to be able to resolve. Okay. So... Is it, is it, but so I'm not standing up a VM and running DNS services, which I could do, 
could do. Um, and we allow you to do that. You can put these DNS entries wherever you would like. Okay. As long as the devices on the VNet can resolve to them. But there is a DNS service I can r- run. Yeah. So we have private DNS zones. So okay. you can connect those to your VNets so that they can resolve the DNS name to get to the private IP address that that service is now being advertised under. Okay. So you're already running your own DNS infrastructure in your in your private network, right? I'm probably Active Directory, most likely. Right. I guess you could yeah. be standing that stuff up inside VMs on Azure. I just don't know why you would. Right. And it really depends on... Um, you know, how you want to manage it, how centralized you mm-hmm. want your DNS to be. Uh, there's there's nothing stopping you from um, hosting all of those records in that zone in your own DNS. Right. However, um, if you look at our documentation, there's some tricky things you have to do with um, forward DNS zones sure. so that the Azure VNets can then find your on-prem DNS. Yeah, because just because you have an express route connection doesn't mean everything is routable. So right. if and I've got VMs still- on the Azure side and they're looking for names, they shouldn't be having to go across Express Route to get that. I think it'd be better off to have a, a DNS server on each side that's in sync with each other. Yeah, yeah. Or and, and there's a couple different ways to handle that. Mm-hmm. Um and that that different customers, you know, we've seen try and, okay. and stuff like that. And really the end result is is that DNS is tricky. Yeah, no, no. And, they, they, <laughs> the the haiku is correct. It couldn't be DNS, right. it was DNS. Yeah. It's <laughs> DNS because your Azure VMs, if they're looking at Azure DNS mm-hmm. and not on-prem DNS, they're gonna look to public DNS and then that has to get referenced to the private DNS zone, and then right. that needs to get so there's a lot of um like C name magic uh, yeah. that happens. It, in order to make it work and you can point everything to your on-prem dns servers um and if then you know the hops are right and it can get there you can put all the zones there right. um but sometimes i'm finding that that look that seems to be more trouble than it's worth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that you might want to um let some applications be able to bring their own dns zone um because like aks uh generally likes to bring its own DNS zone for private link uh, or you have to, or you have to put in manual or you have to be prepared to manually enter those DNS records in zones that you might centrally put elsewhere. Right. Yeah. And I think, especially when you think about all those containers, like there's a lot of stuff coming and going and needing addresses and needing to be able to connect all the time. So that's, that's and with AKS route tables too, which right. is a whole other, um, a, a other thing that um, comes into play when you're bringing your own private mm-hmm. networking space as well. So Azure Private DNS is actually a service provided for mm-hmm. DNS routing within your network that's not routable outside. Yes, because we have two DNS services. We have the Azure DNS zones, which are public that right. you can run in Azure, and then we have the private ones, okay. which are similar, but of course, private. Now, do people normally use private anyway, just for internal machines that are not externally routable in Azure? Um, you, you tend to, well, on some levels, you know, not use it at all for right. the most, unless you want custom domain names. You yeah. just use our internal Azure internal DNS that happens. Right. And it takes care of it for you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is only so this scenario, custom, right? Yeah. Is creating this part of this perimeter. So this is, this is the price you pay for wanting right. your private pla- cloud platform is. Yeah. You Cause you end up with it. like, um, you know, usually a DNS zone with the word private link in it, right. private link, azure.net, private link, um, 
uh, keep for key vault. There's a different one, okay. you know, there's one for blobs, you know, for storage and stuff like that. So there's different private zones that Azure is looking for right. when you're, you know, trying to set up the private DNS to support the private endpoints. So all of these normally publicly accessible things are only accessible over only accessible internally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a, this is a significant price. It affects all the naming, but it's doable, and then you're then you're literally living with nothing with a set of services that don't route outside of the of the internal yeah. network. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our um, Azure PaaS services are now because um, Private Link is relatively new mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. So a lot of the services are switching um, to adding that on as an option, as well as service endpoints, or switching from service endpoints to Private Link is the way. Um, as to way to implement that, you know, private connectivity. Interesting. Okay. And Janelle, I'm going to break for one moment for this very important message. Trying to troubleshoot your end user's Wi-Fi issues remotely is frustrating, time-consuming, and often just a guessing game about the source of the problem. You don't have time for that, and neither do they. MetaGeek has been in the Wi-Fi business for over 15 years with products like WiSpy and Insider, their passion is helping users visualize their wireless landscape. Now they are bringing that knowledge to the remote work era with Signify Business. With Signify Business, frontline remote troubleshooting is done for you, and you only have to get involved when there are escalations. End users install a lightweight desktop client that scans their network periodically, diagnoses issues, and suggests step-by-step -step fixes for the end user to try, while at the same time sending network data to your admin dashboard. That way, if the self-help fixes don't work, you already have all the information you need to step in and get it resolved quickly. No tedious help desk calls required. If your IT department supports remote employees and you don't have the bandwidth to take another help desk call about Wi-Fi, start your free trial of Signify Business today by visiting metageek.com signify. That's S-I-G-N-I-F-I. -I. Think signal plus Wi-Fi. Signify. Remote tech support for employees in the work from anywhere era. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Janelle Crothers. And we're talking a little bit about building a private cloud platform on Azure, but just isolated. And now I'm starting to think, especially in the context of private link, that this is me with an internal application in my own data center that's starting to outgrow it. Mm -hmm. And I'm struggling to scale pieces of it, or we're 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 fumbling, you know, a, a Kubernetes implementation. It's like, hey, why don't we use the cloud product? It takes a lot of that problem away. But it's like, ah, I don't want it to be publicly routable, so I put an Express route. A bunch of my apps probably still running in my data center or my least mm -hmm. data center, and then I have pieces of it running on the Azure data center through this private connection. And a lot of this is we were talking about earlier, but this is transitional, right? You know, right. you might not, you know, a lot of the stuff that ends up in there, you're doing because you've, you're leaving stuff on prem, mm. and there might be a future plan to move that stuff into the cloud, but you know, you haven't gotten that team on board, sure. or you know, the DevOps isn't there, or the process isn't there, or the. I, I just had the conversation around. Hey, we have a five. We're three years into a five-year lease here. I'm not getting out of the lease early and I'm not going to spend more, but let's at least start preparing and moving pieces and understanding, you know, I don't want to buy more of this leased data center. So I'll buy Azure for the rest of it. And then when the leases are finally coming up, maybe we'll be better prepared to finish that shift. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I certainly could see that. You're at that point where it's like, hey, we don't have enough in the data center right now. I don't want to buy more hardware and I, or I don't want to buy more rack space in that lease deal. So I'll buy Azure and mm-hmm. combine the two. And then as my lease winds down and that hardware is a- aging out, I move the rest to Azure. Like I totally buy that. Don't waste your money. You've got commits. Use the commits and then, you know, plan your role over that way. Yeah. You know, but of course, the configuration that you do for that hybrid model yeah. is going to be different potentially than the design you would do for something that was 100% cloud. True. And it, it's a question of whether this is cost-wise worthwhile rather than just lift and shift and, you know, decrease the load on your uh, on your private stuff for now, you know, rather than create this fairly, I think, exotic architecture. You know, I mean, yeah, you just pick it all up and move it. I mean, we know lift and shift, you know, is is not inexpensive no and you know not going to not going to save you money no at least initially well and this story's always been about the platform play about taking care of better using these platform pieces that make the cloud valuable right that's the whole if you just shift vms into the cloud you're kind of getting the worst of cloud right right? yeah it's not until you get into hey stop running your own kubernetes implementation stop running you know registry implementation so forth get rid of those vms use the platform that life really, you start to benefit from what cloud does for you. Right. But then the flip side of that is having processes in place and internal workflows that match with the cloud and don't right. match with, you know, that are different than on-prem. Yeah. And that's a big transition as well. And yeah. actually, in some cases, takes longer than actually. Sure. Well, that's getting- cloud as architecture versus cloud as product, right? It's like, are we organized in the way that this infrastructure is designed to be organized? Because you're not going to make Azure do work with the way you want to necessarily. There are certain right. things that work. The platform works the way the platform works, and you got to kind of adopt to that. Right. And there's some, you know, on-prem, com- on-prem concepts that simply don't, they don't snap to the cloud right. at all. You know, you know, the idea of, letting a developer say into your data center to plug something into a rack, a rack <laughs> of something is not something that you would do, but that's, no. if you're going to hand deployments to the cloud, to an application development team, right. in some sense, that's what you're allowing them to do. Sure. You know, you might find it's necessary to give them access to, you know, some networking um, components or as part of that infrastructure, you know, that you don't necessarily want to pre-set up for them mm-hmm, in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and certainly there's better self-service options for those kinds of things in the cloud anyway. Like they, mm-hmm. they're particularly good at that's a I know relatively few organizations that got to a point where a developer could auto-provision a VM on their private network. Like that, those were hard things to do. They were expensive. And it was mostly the housekeeping, because devs mm-hmm. are notorious for never turning stuff off, right? Like that's <laughs> The hard part, and at least with the cloud, you've got all those reminders and things. Like I'm a bun, and I know the cost center, so if they don't turn those VMs off, I'm bailing it out to them. Like we we could, right? We've got that all built in when we use Azure. Rolling that yourself, that's hard. Like that's a lot yeah, of yeah. moving parts. So it's yeah, and a just benefit. things, I don't things like just you know, I'm going to. Uh, you know, let them bring, especially if you're using, like we talked earlier about the network as a, a perimeter of right. security, um, you know, giving an app team a VNet and then telling them that they can make their own subnets at will, 
But yeah. how do you enforce things like the routing on all yeah, of those subnets needs yeah. to be, you know, oh, we force tunnel. How do you ensure that that route table is applied to every subnet that they create? How do you enforce those things? Mm. And how are you comfortable with, you know, using policy or how does your infrastructure's code get written and deployed? How do you manage PRs to ensure that those things are are done consistently? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and is the, is the tooling all there for that? If we do this as this private network where we literally can make part of the entire build process that definable network and all those routing tables? Yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah, we have, you know, examples of, you know, being able to do that in ARM, being mm-hmm. af- able to do that in Azure policy. Um, you know, it becomes a little bit more challenging if you're trying to do that with, you know, third-party tools, you know. Yeah, I think a Terraform, Ansible, like, because, hey, it's devs that were coming at me in the first place. They probably come with, like, Terraform in the pocket going, can I do this? Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it, you know, I, I venture to say all of it can be done in Terraform. Mm-hmm. Um it just depends on how you want to break up that separation of duty. Right. right. Um, like who's deploying the network versus, you know, what service principles are allowed to do this, but not that. And you start ending up with um, permission granularity that yeah. can sometimes cause problems with the way that Terraform deploys things using the API versus a native ARM template. Right. And right. There's an, and because the ARM's the lowest level and ultimately Terraform's probably calling into bits of ARM anyway. Yeah, yeah. Except it's individual bits of ARM instead of big chunks of ARM. Right. Um, and so sometimes how your policies are written can be um, expecting the results of a big chunk of ARM versus three or four API calls that come from Terraform. Right. Um, and that will affect how policies are, um, you know, driven and how they when they react or don't react and stuff like that. Yeah, and I can see the workaround being that I just give too many rights to the to the deployment agent for Terraform. Because it's easier. Uh, right, right. And and some of it is, you know, change how you write your Terraform. Yeah, you know, you know, and and being able to, but you need to understand the platform mm-hmm. well enough to figure out how to make those changes. That's where we call people like you, right? <laughs> yeah. That, well, this is literally is like, your yeah. job at Microsoft now, right? Is helping customers with, with this kind with of sophisticated work. Yeah. Now that's, yeah. and it's, I think it's really interesting where we are today, where it seems like Microsoft is really aligned with their customers. Like you only make money when people use your product now. Mm-hmm. And so every time you can help them to get through this particular challenge of getting that CICD pipeline working through Terraform into Azure, well, that makes them consume more Azure. Everybody's happy. Yeah, you know, it's and these are interesting. You know, everybody's organization is different. Everybody's policies are different. Everybody's mm-hmm. procedures are different. So there's no, you know, one right way to do it. Right. And you know, sometimes we get an ask for, you know, can't you just show me the code of how this would work? And it's just like, if you want this to work end to end with one chunk of code, I'm going to be running it with a service principle that has a high level of rights. Right. And I'm probably going to be deploying this in one subscription, which makes it easy for Terraform. Um, one or mm-hmm. two subscriptions, definitely not multi-tenants. Um, so, you know, as you layer on those different levels of identity separations, you know, secure, you know, subscription separation, yes. you run into um, additional challenges with the tooling. Deeper and deeper complexity on this. But mm-hmm. but that's part of the nature of cloud too. And I, and I get you pressing on this idea of, People are building their PaaS products this way that they're then selling to others that are running in Azure and maybe pieces of it are going to be private and pieces of it are public. 
What does that interfacing look like? Can I really control these servers are visible in the public side of Azure and these other ones are just not? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can. I mean, is that, is that a thing people are doing? It, it doesn't seem necessary, but. I mean, I mean, this is you start. I mean, starts looking like on-prem with the DMZ. Right. Yeah. You've now fabricated a kind of DMZ inside of Azure. Are you doing a good thing? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I would say no. Yeah. I think that there's what? there's some mind shift that needs to happen. There have meet in the middle somewhere. You're you're resisting the zero trust mindset. That's that is a, clearly the way forward. Like if we continue to think about yeah. perimeters within the perimeters, we always fumble eventually. Just the you know the security situation these days is pretty dire. Like I'm, I think about the number of shows I'm doing around ransomware attacks and all of these different things. Like it's a tough time, and and you know we didn't do zero trust because it was fun. It seems to be the only thing that's going to tolerate the current mm -hmm. level of of uh, of security risk that exists today. You know, you know, multiple devices connecting mm. to everything, um, wanting to be able to, you know, spin up and spin down containers, you mm -hmm. know, all the time. Like none of that stuff survives the traditional, you know, locked in my data center model. Yeah. Perimeter mindset. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But it's interesting that you're, you've built out a set of tooling now and, and, and some resources to help me maintain a perimeter into Azure if I insist on it. Like that, if you insist on it, you can do it. You can do it. Um, but it's not it's not gonna come without some trade-offs. Yeah. Sure. You know, um AKS clusters in particular, mm -hmm. you know, there's ends up you end up having a lot of stuff now that you kind of have to manually manage that right. you wouldn't have had to manage before because you've taken, you know, you're taking away some of the uh some of the ease, you know, because Kubernetes was kind of designed to be on the internet. <laughs> Right. And, yeah. you know, now as you put these walls about it, like Kubernetes is always going to sort of be its own thing, you know, its own thing. And it, it, it expects certain behaviors. So anything you wrap around it, you kind of have to, you know, abstract it away from Kubernetes. Sure. Now, it's, I, I hear you saying politely, you can scram, you can ram that square peg in that round hole if you hit it hard enough, but don't be surprised if there's some serious damage done along the way like you're gonna bang into some problems over and over and over again and it's because you're literally i don't want to say so far as misusing the tool but fighting its natural tendencies you know and we are constantly microsoft every cloud provider is constantly making changes to their offerings right to solve certain problems improve um, improve services, do those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And if you privatized and locked something down to a certain way, a revision of that might change how that behaves. Yeah. And if it was used out of the box, for lack of a better word, you might not notice, you might not have downtime. No. I mean, that seems to be the point with cloud, right? Is that following the sort of given patterns means that as they're updated, you're not affected. But you clearly got that peg wedged in that hole pretty oddly right now. And any little change or any any number of changes could really be problematic for you. And right. it's not like Azure's not going to update that. Like that's going to happen and there's no rollbacks. You know, and, 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 and you know, some of it is, you know, I mean, we have, we have outages just like every cloud provider has outages. Sure. Um, and if you're, you know, reliant on something 
you know, very specific, a very specific configuration. You might find that an outage on one thing that shouldn't have caused a problem now does because right. I don't know, you're, you know, or even on work, you're pointing all your DNS back on prem and you have problems on your on prem DNS. Now sure. you're taking out the cloud, you know? It's not like, yeah, it's not like I ever had outages. Goodness knows, right? You know, the, the, or, the difference is you guys are very public about your outages. You don't conceal them at all. We, right. We all had them back in the day. It's just we tended not to talk about them quite so much. <laughs> you know, and you know, now they're now they're out there. You know, we can't yeah. we can't we can't avoid that. You no. know, there's been outages in the past. There's sure. gonna be outages in the future. Yeah. Um and resiliency is resiliency is hard enough as it is. Yeah, no kidding. And then and you're adding all this complexity by integrating across these two, you are making a more fragile system, it seems to me. But it might be necessary for some period of time. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate that. But I also appreciate the idea that more and more there's not you're not you're not requiring substantial changes to get to the cloud. You're just saying, well, okay, if you don't want to change that thing, if you're not going to change your approach to trust and security to to the sort of cloud architecture approach, that zero trust approach, we can accommodate you, but it comes with a price. Mm-hmm. Every, everything comes with a price. Inevitably, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a and there is a low the lowest friction way requires the most change in thinking. Mm-hmm. And the higher friction ways require less change in thinking, but more friction. Yes. Okay. Now, you know what? This totally makes sense to me, Janelle. And I appreciate that this offering exists, too, because I can see scenarios where it makes sense. I don't know that it's my first choice, but we don't always get to Greenfield stuff, right? We Sometimes we have to accommodate what we have. No, we, we don't. We, to- we totally don't. And, you know... You know, we understand like where the customer's coming from. It's like sure. this is an ask we get a lot of, and you know, this is this is the way this is the way around it. Absolutely. Well, it's really fun to chat with you on this, and I appreciate. I just like the the term "my private cloud platform." Super sexy. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> Still going to have to <laughs> wrestle with how good an idea it is, but it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, possibilities. And you know, there's there's always some challenges. Keeps me busy. There's yeah, always no, some challenges. No with question. It. Yeah, no question at all. Well, Janelle, super great to talk to you again. Uh, come back every year and, and keep us up to speed. You know where to find me. Yeah, the story keeps uh, charging. And yeah, pretty pretty much due for that foot long now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait for my coupon. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. 